the Monday Rewind. Declaring the winner by TKO, the notorious Connor McGregor. I felt comfortable to you. I don't think any of these pose a threat. Every single one of them keep keep talking about the talk. Keep saying this guy's all talk. He's over the camera. But never once in your life will you hear them talk about the skill or the technique because they know I own that. Giroud with the header, he scores! Doubles Arsenal's lead from the free kick. 66 minutes played. It's City nil, Arsenal 2. Yes, maybe maybe it was not the, the usual Arsenal that we are used to, to see him. But I think that they defend very well. Very well during the 90 minutes. He's got Ashton on the right hand side, skips inside. Zebo all too easily from close range. The swan die from Ashton, their third try. I think we can't read my finger on, we just couldn't seem to hold the ball. We'd knock ons, we'd mistakes, we'd lack of knowledge. O'Gara goes for it from just outside the D and puts it over the bar. And it's Dublin 115, Mead 113. It was quite a brave fight back from the Royals, but it looks like it's not going to be enough. This time of the season, you're looking for players with, with, a, with a bit of character. You like to see them, the questions being asked of them, and that has happened the last two games, and, and thankfully the response has been, has been quite positive. If Conor McGregor will get a world title fight, but it won't be in Croke Park. Dana White has confirmed it will be Las Vegas. We'll have more on that with Marco too later. In Gaelic football, we'll hear from Waterford defender Liam Lawler after their historic win over Cork in the McGrath Cup semi-final. Ryan Cuthbert, the Rebels boss, also talking to us about that game and some of the new proposals that came out from the GA over the weekend regarding the calendar. We'll have more from Jim Gavin and Mick O'Dowd as well as the thoughts of Graham Garrity. In hurling Galway got off to a good start with a win over Westmeath. Anthony Cunningham talks about new players and injury returnees. We'll have more on a mostly poor weekend for the provinces in the Champions and Challenge Cups with the exception of course of Leinster, Shane Byrne analyses for us. First though, it's the Premier League and Manchester City's 2-0 defeat to Arsenal at the Etihad, a result which leaves them five points behind leaders Chelsea. After City lost their 12-game unbeaten record in the league, Ireland international Keith Andrews spoke to Off The Ball's matchday commentator, Dave McIntyre. Keith, we've just watched, I guess it is Arsenal, so they are a Champions League team, but it is one of the biggest shocks of the Premier League season, is it fair to say, beating our City 2-0? Yeah, it is, and it was the manner in which they played and how they approached the game in such a responsible and unselfish manner. You know, it was all about the team today, it wasn't about individuals, you know, the likes of Cazorla, Sanchez, all sacrificing the, the threat of going forward and possession of the ball to go and beat a very, very good City side and they truly deserve the victory today. When Arsenal were beaten 6-3 here last season, they were five points clear at the top of the Premier League table. That was in March. Does something like you've witnessed today not lead you to wonder why on earth it's taken so long for Arsenal to develop a little bit of pragmatism? How many trophies and winning games have they sacrificed over the last three years by not doing what they did today? Well, I suppose it's, it's better late than never from, from an Arsenal point of view and an Arsenal supporters point of view. You know, He's gone and approached this game in a totally different manner than he ever has, even in the big Champions League games when he's came up against the big boys. He's never played in this way. He's played with a 4-1, 4-1 system and he's been very respectful to, to the opposition but equally the, the counter-attacking which they used, they, they were absolutely awesome. And, and in Santi Cazorla, they had an absolute magician on the pitch today. Do you think Arsenal can take this on further and continue to repeat this, or will they see this as a once-off, I wonder? I mean, very interested to try and get inside the head of Arsene Wenger for when they go to White Hart Lane in two weeks' time, for example. You see, against the, the bottom half of the, the Premier League teams, they, they don't need plan B. They, their plan A works more often than not. But going away to the teams like this, the top four teams, and, and Spurs as well, who are a very decent side, he needs to have that little bit of different mentality going into the game. Be a little bit more respectful. I said, I said before the game about would they drop their egos in terms of letting Man City have the ball. You know, they, they're a team that like to dominate possession, Arsenal. But they forfeited that today for the, for the greater good, and the greater good was a two-nil victory. When you look at the guys they had on their bench today, when I mean, they do have such an immense amount of attacking talent, there was no place in the team for Riziki today, Urzel, Walcott, and yet. And Danny Welbeck injured, of course. Yet you feel it is in defence and midfield that they need to strengthen in January. And Wenger this week said it would be a risk if we were to fail to sign a defender in the transfer window. Do you think they will bring someone in? Well, let's talk about Winston Reid from, from West Ham. He's the, he's the obvious one who's been a fantastic saver for West Ham over the last few seasons. He's a 
he's a much coveted player so I think he would instantly fit in there with his Premier League experience but you know it's in front of it as well I think Cockland done a very good job there today but I don't think he's the answer long term I don't think he has enough on the ball for a for an Arsenal player but there's one playing at West Ham that, that they got rid of in, in, in Song it would be an ideal acquisition but I would be amazed if he doesn't strengthen yet Arsenal are the story today but what went so wrong for Manchester City just three shots on target all afternoon and if you look at the talent that they have on the pitch and the likes of Silva and Navas and Aguero it just didn't happen for them and at no stage really were Arsenal did you feel really hanging on? No, they were, they were very comfortable. You know, they had a 15-minute spell at the start of the second half where they, they looked energetic and lively. Jovetic was, was, a, was a bundle of energy when he came on, but I didn't think Aguero looked his usual sharp self. He's just coming back from that injury. Toure is obviously missing. Boney will come back into that when he comes back from the African Nations. Um, but they just lacked ideas. They lacked intensity. They lacked a little bit of creativity. We've got to throw it over to Arsenal again. They were so impressive in the shape, denying spaces, denying opportunities, and you're right, it's all about Arsenal today. I know when a good player is absent, his absence often makes him look an even better player, but I mean, how much do you think they are missing Yaya Torre? Massively, massively. I think he's he's one of the three musketeers they have with company and, and Aguero and, and, and Silva, I suppose. You took the forward him into the equation. You look at it today, company didn't look his usual self. He looked a little bit off it. Silva was quiet for him. Uh, and Aguero's lacking match fitness. Um, so when you take, put that into the equation with, with Toure obviously missing, you know they're, they're nowhere near where they, where they usually are. What do you think this does to the title race? Chelsea now heading in with what? We've got 16 games remaining. They're five points clear. They're obviously massive favourites from here on. With that game in two weeks' time at Stamford Bridge, not quite a title decider, but not a million miles away from it. That's a huge game, isn't it? It's, it's, it's gone nearly to a must-win game for City now. The, the way this game has gone, it wouldn't have envisaged losing this game by, by 2-0 today. So, you know, going back a couple of weeks ago, Chelsea had gone through a little bit of a rocky spell. They've come through that. They look strong, but I still think Chelsea could have a wobble. You know, they've been fairly lucky with, with injuries and suspensions so far this season. To, to their main men, you know, they've had eight or nine of the starting eleven playing the vast majority of games. You just wonder if anything happens to Costa or a Hazard or a Fabregas, and then the coming weeks and they miss a chunk of games, can they deal without those? And were they to lose that game, Keith? Suddenly, Manchester City would be within five points of Southampton, Manchester United, and Arsenal. And instead of just looking up at Chelsea and trying to chase them down, they might have to spend a little bit of time looking over their shoulder. Yeah, absolutely. I think obviously they're, they're going to approach that game with still the intention of, of winning the league but you would imagine if, if Chelsea win that game then, then that will be done and dusted but you're right Southampton Man United they're all chasing they're all in that fight and this is a club that's that's used to used to success now over the last few seasons they know how to win titles so I, I wouldn't be inclined to rule them out just yet and I wouldn't put a pass and going to Stamford Bridge in a couple of weeks and nicking that victory Final word on Arsenal I wonder will we see it again and how much of the pressure is now off the shoulders of Arsene Wenger because maybe he's buckled beneath the pressure of some of the fans he's given them what they want yeah to a degree I think it would be absolutely madness if we didn't see this type of performance when they go away to the big boys you know it's, it's proved to, to have worked today of course he didn't play at their, their brilliant best and certain players weren't at their sharpest but it was a fantastic away performance. It was a proper old-school performance, responsibility, leaders out there on the pitch. And I would be amazed if this wasn't a carbon copy for, for going away to play so this in the future for them. Great stuff, Keith. Thanks for so winning. Cheers, Dave. And still to come, Conor McGregor on his win in Boston and his upcoming title fight in Las Vegas. Before that, though, in rugby, it was a mostly poor weekend for the Irish provinces in the Champions Cup, with Ulster and Munster losing heavily and exiting the competition. Granted, they both have one game left to play in the pool. Leinster are the only Irish side left standing after their bonus point win over cast at the RDS. Former Lions, Ireland and Leinster hooker Shane Byrne joins us. Shane, Munster lost 33-10 to Saracens at Allianz Park and... Well, they looked out-thought and out-fought. Look, it was it was very disappointing to see, particularly the way it worked out, that Saracen sit back and really wait for the opposition. They'd be known to do it and wait for you to make the mistake. And, and that, unfortunately, happened just way too much for Munster. And there were unforced errors, knock-ons. Even the great Paul O'Connell is handling, let him down. You know, turnovers at rook time. And it just, they could not react. When it happened and Saracen picked up the pace of the game, Munster were left flagging. And, you know, it was terrible to see that even the set piece anything that you would go traditionally okay they'll get going here they can get their foothold back in the game it just wasn't to be Was it a one-off? Was it 
some players not being up to it? Was it a combination of both? What was it? Well, you will have to look at, I suppose, the squad. Like Anthony Foley will say that he's a lot of injuries. Uh, not all of them, he says, would get onto the team, but they were certainly there to bolster the squad. Um, yeah, it's it's. you would have to say that there's some players there who are not up to the standard and don't give the strike capabilities that you need to be able to play. This competition, the, the, the European competition as it is now, is it's a harder competition. It really has raised the bar and uh, Munster just don't seem to be able to make that step up they have to now concentrate go back to the Pro 12 and really have a strong strong push at that but at the moment they just seem to be flagging just when it comes right down to the niggle of it Regarding Munster and we'll throw Ulster in here as well they've both had poor Champions Cup campaigns can that have a negative effect on individual players before a Six Nations the likes of Paul O'Connell who has been a leader for so many years and probably will be again on a on and off the park but he had a bad game against Saracens yeah. will that play in his mind will that have an effect even though they've you know another game to go before the Six Nations well a, a professional rugby player and that is definitely what Paul is as strong as you can be is that he will want to improve on it he will want to not let that luggage stay with him and you know Irish rugby has been based on the provinces and uh, provinces doing very well and Munster led the charge for that in so long and Irish rugby needs that but I would suspect that, you know, once into Irish camp, that'll, the shackles will be off that. It's a different coach. Everything else is raised from it. And Joe Smith, as we all know, is, is challenging the players to go on. And Paul O'Connell in particular will thrive on that. But yeah, it's not great to have w- losses like that happening, you know, close, so close to the Six Nations. We'd much prefer being ramping in. Guys coming in on a high, but mm. knees must. We've seen in the past, though, with Welsh teams in particular, they've yeah. never really done anything much in the Champions Cup or the Heineken Cup as it was known, yeah. but then they can go and win a Grand Slam. Wales in particular, and, and are we going this way? I don't, you know, you'd say after, after the November Nationals, Wales in particular, when they put that red jersey on, there's some of the parts, it, you know, is much, much better than they were playing for the provinces and their, their respective teams. Ireland, okay, the November Nationals were fantastic and when they went back to the provinces, they weren't... Re- you know, raising up that bar again. They weren't playing as good as the individuals. And you'd have to look at the players for that and the motivation from the players. You know, you'd hate to think that. You know, we've had such success, uh, you know, in the last decade or so with uh, provincial rugby. You'd hate to think that it's going to wane. It is going to be hard. Money's starting to show. Like even the English sides, like Bath, having an unbelievable win at the weekend. And they have a massive backer behind them. It certainly is going to tell. You know, Munster need to recruit well this summer and uh, very smartly and, and plug in a few gaps to give them those strike people that can get over the gain line. Leinster, it seems, maybe have turned a, a corner. We can't guess too much in one game, but it mm-hmm. seems to be they're coming to form just at the right time. But look, Irish rugby needs the provinces strong. A great win for Leinster against Cass. 50 points to 8. Uh, yeah. We spoke about this before you came on air. This game was kind of like the one you played against uh, Bourguin in the old Lansdowne Road a number of years ago where you yeah. put, was it 90-something points or was we it 100 did. points? We did. Uh, you played well, but, <laughs> but, but, but your opposition stood yeah. off and it was the same with this game at the RDS. That's the key. Let's not get carried away. You know, the, they haven't, you know, the, the opposition were very porous. They were there. We expect them to be strong at scrum time. They weren't particularly. Uh, they fought, they challenged. But the one thing about that is Leinster have played sides like that this season and they haven't played the brand of rugby that they did this weekend. And that is key to it, is that they suddenly discovered that it's almost strange saying at the traditional Leinster, you know, the old school Leinster, which is within the last few years, that expansive rugby, the backs were just playing with such confidence. There's so many, you could list each one of them and they were playing superb. We were seeing the, the old loop moves around, set move pieces that we haven't seen at all this season and it worked Does that come from the coach or the players? Well ultimately it has to come from Mm. the coach like the Carney's try at the start that's directly from the the training park So we're giving Matt O'Connor credit because he has ridden a gauntlet somewhat unfairly I would say Absolutely and you you would know like because they were playing you know such own Leinster like rugby all the way through the season that you know the question marks the finger was pointing all around coaches, players who who's really at fault here and but look if if it shows it's amazing what one game can do next week will tell a tale Wasps are good and uh, they start a season terribly they're now playing very very well they have a, one of the best back rows around superb half backs control the game and very very dangerous wingers it's they are going to be hard to be beaten they've moved up to Coventry they've made that a little bit of fortress for themselves but it's a winner take all
Yeah, they that's beat, exactly what it is. They beat Harlequins twenty three three at away, the stoop. Yeah, yes, away from home. I'm not sure if you saw the Leicester sign at the Rico or around the Rico, Rico where Wasps now play Leicester rugby on your doorstep since <laughs> uh, 1840 or something like that or 1880. Anyway, it was a nice little jab. Um, let's just talk very quickly about Ulster and Connacht. Ulster yeah. losing heavily against Toulon, but they got the uh, 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 losing bonus point. Connacht lost at home to Exeter again. They got the bonus point, yeah. and they can reach the quarter final in the Challenge Cup if they beat La Rochelle away from home if they go there and they win they stop the rot because they've lost two on the bounce now if they don't win they lose three in a row and maybe the heads will be down and that will be a big test of them I think the the debate before this really was should they go for the the European competition or should they concentrate on getting in the top six the automatic qualification and you know when the team is on the up and the spirit is there as Pat Lamb has clearly put with them and in them uh, you got to keep going for every competition and now it's more important next week because of what you said if they don't get this game the heads will be down three three in the trot going back into the domestic league that will obviously have an effect but it's in their hands. If they go away and they win, which they can do, they're playing superb rugby. Like If someone had said against Exeter, you're going to score four tries and still not win and still not get a bonus point lot, you know, things like that, you just you wouldn't expect. They came out, they almost played the perfect first half, mm. absolutely superb play, but then Exeter came out in the second half and were a completely different side. They upped the physicality and they really punished Connacht pushed them back and it was something that they couldn't go around Connacht still managed to score two tries but you know Robbie Henshaw was absolutely by the way you know absolutely excellent superb player but, nailed uh, on starting centre for the Six Nations yeah without any doubt beside now there's a, there's a debate <laughs> <laughs> that's a debate yeah listen has Gordon Darcy would he still be trusted or, or is this like me Madigan you know mm-hmm. what I mean he, it's, it depends on what Joe Schmidt listen Joe Schmidt does strange things when he gets him into camp he, as we all know he makes up his mind what he sees there in front of him and he picks the team that is on form in the days leading into his selection that's a hard one to call but definitely uh, Henshaw is there he's, he's, he reminds me of a of a Brian O'Driscoll when he arrived on the scene his skill level was up he was going into tackles and getting the ball popped away and mm. nobody, none of us were expecting the ball to come out we had to start to expect it and Henshaw seems to be doing that the same with Connacht he's managing to get the ball away and the guys aren't ready for it yeah. but and he's like, got Brian O'Driscoll minding him essentially as well well yeah and it's it's publicly said like you know that yeah. he's on the phone to him and everything like that and you know, I think that's it's it's working well. I honestly didn't realise his skill set was as high as it was after really watching him closely uh, at the weekend. And Connacht did so many things right, but you got to hand it to Exeter. They really just came out and the second half just out physical them. And that's a step that I suppose Connacht haven't made yet. They will to come back and be able to change their own game plan around. You'd love to see that this upward curve that they're on and they're still on it. Like I know they've had two losses, but they're still on it that they can, Pat Lamb can just take that other step with them Shane Byrne thanks for joining us on the Rewind podcast Mixed Martial Arts now and Conor McGregor has earned a UFC title fight against Jose Aldo in May but it won't be in Croke Park the 26 year old stopped Dennis Seaver in the second round of their bout in Boston and afterwards told Aldo he'll be taking his belt soon although he wasn't as polite as that Carl Pendred and Paddy Hulhan also won their bouts but Norman Park lost now McGregor had a very interesting post-match post-fight I should say press conference in which he uh, shared some whiskey with Paddy Houlihan and talked about what he's going to do to Jose Aldo and what he did do to Dennis Seaver first though here is UFC President Dana White on why that fight the title fight involving Conor McGregor and Jose Aldo this is will be in Las Vegas and not in Croke Park this May. I can guarantee you it's going to rain. I'm not a meteorologist, but I'll bet you it's going to rain. You know, I'm not saying we're never going to do it, but Vegas for this one. But Vegas, I'm happy I'm happy with Vegas. Um, we, we, we discussed, as you can see, it, it's tradition. I remove a head. I bring it backstage. I place it on Mr. Fertitta and Mr. White's desk. Here you go, boss. Another one done. And then we discuss big business. So we went and we discussed big business. And big business just happens to be in Viva Las Vegas. So we are going to go to Las Vegas and one more head will be collected. I'm fresh as a daisy. How good does the hooligan look? In his tree piece. <laughs> Fucking animal. My man. Here you go, brother. How's that one? That's a Middleton rare, yeah? That's a 20 gram bottle of whiskey. But I am. I'm fresh. Absolutely fresh, ready to go again. Back to back to back, KOs, 
off of the biggest injury of my career, you know what I mean? People, I said the two minute, I said the two minute mark, but as it came closer, I was thinking, I don't want to rush this. I want to get in and I want to feel this. This is a sold out, this is a record breaking gate here for the TD Garden in Boston on the weekend that the football is on. And we still saw that motherfucker out. So I wanted to get in there and I wanted to feel that. I wanted to find comfort in there and find calm. This is my third contest back to back to back from ACL surgery. So um, I, felt in <clears throat> I felt in the Brandel fight I was a bit rushed. I felt in the Poirier fight I tried to force some exchanges. So this time I wanted to let... I wanted to feel it, and, and although I felt the two-minute mark, and that's what I truly felt in the lead-up, <clears throat> on the day and on the couple of days before, I was thinking, I'm not going to rush this. I don't, need, I don't need to rush this. I, I want to I spend more time in there. You know what I mean? This is, for me, everything else, I, I don't like everything else. The, me, the media stuff, you know, it, it, it's hard work what we do, you know, but we, we get rewarded for it, and it is definitely... I see the benefits of it, you know, that, that event sold out and it's um, on the weekend that the, the NFL or that big American football game was on, you know, that, that, that stuff doesn't happen uh, over, over this side of the pond, so um, I wanted again and just, and just be loose and have, uh, find comfort in there and, and get more minutes on the clock. This is the Rewind on News Talk and that was Conor McGregor on his win over Dennis Seaver and his upcoming world title fight with Jose Aldo which takes place in Las Vegas in May. Coming up, Gaelic Games and golf. But first, MMA journalist and broadcaster Mark O'Toole joins us. Mark, uh, the fight was won by McGregor, but not as predicted. Uh, it wasn't as he predicted. Um, he did beat uh, Dennis Seaver last night in uh, the Boston Gardens in front of uh, the biggest uh, crowd that the UFC have ever got for that venue, the home venue for uh, the Boston Celtics. Um, he beat him in the second round rather than the second minute, uh, but it was pretty much as dominant a performance as you could get. Um, Conor McGregor uh, peppered Dennis Seaver uh, with uh, you know variations of kicks, you know high kicks, flying kicks, knees, and uh, a straight leg left that um, kept getting through Dennis Seaver, who, you know, is, is very much a veteran and has seen a lot of fights, but um, as it was said on commentary and as um, anyone that's kind of would have watched Seaver's fights before, I don't think he's ever been dominated in quite the way that Conor McGregor did dominate him um, and finished him in the second round with a straight left. Uh, then Connor secured a uh, mount on uh, Dennis Seaver, uh, and quite like the fight uh, against uh, Diego Brandao in Dublin, won via ground and pound, except Connor took his time with it, uh, was a bit more patient in terms of choosing and picking his shots on the ground, and the referee called it uh, a halt uh, to the fight uh, just over uh, three minutes left in the second round. Conor McGregor said in his post-fight press conference that he actually wanted to keep it going. He wanted minutes under the belt. Do you think there's merit in that? Do you think that's uh, that's true from McGregor? Or is he just kind of mouthing because he didn't do what he predicted, even though he won, which is the main goal and achievement? Um, well, I, I suppose there probably is a bit of merit uh, to that. Um, if you look at Conor McGregor's record, he's uh, fought uh, quite a lot of uh, a, a lot of guys and won by a lot of uh, first round knockouts. It's uh, his percentage of first round knockouts is absolutely uh, incredible, um, and that could be um, a bit of an issue when he's fighting Jose Aldo, who is a fighter who's very much, you know. Um, the standout fighter in that division and the champion now um, and Conor McGregor may have to go uh, five five minute rounds against uh, Jose Aldo when he faces him in Las Vegas in May so I think possibly getting a bit more comfortable in it and not trying to rush things would uh, be uh, would probably be a good tactic in some, in some regards Jose Aldo has taken a lot of his fights five rounds including his last fight against uh, Chad Mendes um, so um, yeah, absolutely. But if you're talking in terms of uh, was it an impressive win or not, uh, there was at no point was Connor threatened last night. And if you look at uh, the damage that that receiver uh, sustained and the absolute whitewash that it was, uh, I don't think you could chalk this down to being anything other than an extremely impressive win for Connor McGregor. Now you know me, I'm a cheerleader, I'll pretty much get behind anything that's Irish, but you give me some cold hard analysis. If they were to meet tomorrow morning, or next weekend, or whenever, who would you fancy to win? 
It's a really, really interesting uh, fight. I suppose um, I was at Conor McGregor's uh, UFC debut, having seen uh, all his previous fights on Cage Warriors, and then before that, uh, a good few fights on the Irish uh, circuit at Cage Contenders. Um, but it's an interesting fight for a couple of reasons. Uh, when I first went to Conor McGregor's debut, I was speaking to uh, one of the main matchmakers in the UFC, Sean Shelby, um, who at a glance said, we're going to build this guy five fights and then he'll get a fight uh, with the champion, Jose Aldo. I'm not sure how that fight will go. I think if it stays on the feet, Conor will win. If it goes to the ground, Jose Aldo uh, could possibly uh, win. Um, I wouldn't necessarily agree uh, with that assessment by Sean Shelby in terms of the ground game because we haven't had a chance to see Connor's ground game much, but he has taken out a Brazilian uh, black belt before in Diego Brandao uh, in Dublin. But it, it, it's it's interesting for a couple of, of reasons. I think Jose Aldo, if you look at his last fight against Chad Mendes, who's an extremely, extremely talented uh, competitor, Jose Aldo won that, um, but he was rocked a couple of times by Chad Mendes, whose striking wouldn't be as clean, crisp, or varied as Connor's. Um, Chad would be known more as a wrestler. So if Jose Aldo were to give Connor the opportunities that he gave up to, uh, to Chad Mendes, Conor McGregor definitely has the power to knock him out. That being said, Jose Aldo's record, he hasn't been beaten in nine years. Uh, he's extremely talented. Uh, a lot like Seaver, he doesn't seem to be phased too much by Conor. Conor, uh, post-fight, jumped out of uh, the octagon to confront Jose Aldo, and Jose Aldo uh, remained very calm and uh, kind of took it in his stride. But I think that might be possibly because Jose Aldo knows how much money he's going to make off of this fight with Conor because Conor provides the perfect foil. Conor provides uh, the uh, Joe Frazier to Muhammad Ali. He provides the uh, Michael Schumacher to uh, Damon Hill, any of those great rivalries. And that's what the UFC yeah. and the matchmakers behind the UFC really want from Conor McGregor because there has been a feeling that with the amount of decisions Jose Aldo has won over the last few years that he's been somewhat complacent and someone in his comfort zone I think they'd hope that Conor McGregor takes him out of that comfort zone You left out the Ken Barlow to Mike Baldwin rivalry but look we'll let that slide um, the fight is on in Las Vegas we had hoped it would be in Crow Park there is a spot there in May Dana White said it straight away look it might rain and he talked about the fact that with the pay-per-view you get more hits in America if the fight is on in America where we sold a pup before this game was, was it ever a runner? Um, I think it was a runner because the UFC were in negotiations with both the Aviva and Crow Park. Um, having spoken to some GAA officials... But did they keep it under their hat that it wasn't going to happen until after Conor fought, for obvious reasons? Well, um, no, Dana did. Uh, during this week, Dana had uh, said uh, publicly that it would either be Crow Park or Las Vegas. And then prior to the fight uh, at a Boston Celtics match, um, uh, just before the fight, uh, uh, Dana said that uh, it was going to be Vegas. And I suppose when you kind of look at um, the hype that uh, Connor has generated, the amount of angst amongst other fighters, and, um, you know, you even saw during the uh, New England Patriots game last night and during uh, the various um, uh, NFL games, championship games, Conor McGregor promos airing on Fox Sports that there's a huge interest in the United States uh, in him now. People are fascinated by him and they will buy pay-per-views. So um, I suppose the UFC don't want to give up that revenue just now that they they could possibly break uh, some pay-per-view uh, records with the McGregor-Aldo fight. And if McGregor wins... Um, you know, there, there's the possibility of having that fight in Crow Park or the Aviva down the line. Uh, Dana says he hasn't ruled it out. And you don't necessarily have to be fighting the champion uh, for Conor McGregor to get a close to capacity um, uh, uh, ticket sale for, for that fight. So it, it's something that's not off the cards in terms of the UFC, but it seems to have come down to cold hard cash. This is the Rewind on News Talk. We're talking to Mark O'Toole, MMA broadcaster and journalist. Just before we um, drop McGregor, what about his behaviour, the jumping out of the ring, the facing, the ridiculous tweet that he sent out and then deleted, the language he uses in press, conference, press conferences? We were able to play that in full because this is a podcast and not normal radio. Uh, does, does that help? Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I mean, I know you have to promote and you have to be colourful, but some of it is a bit superfluous, surely. I mean, I'm not 
UFC's biggest fan but I do like McGregor but I think that stuff is ridiculous you know do your talking in the octagon which he does to be fair yeah, I, I suppose, and so do all, all the other featherweights do their talking in the octagon. And now uh, we saw during the week Ricardo Lamas, who's uh, one of the um, uh, <laughs> who's one of the other uh, top five contenders in uh, that division, uh, releasing a seven minute parody video of Conor McGregor called uh, Conrad McGillagoody. That's uh, level of uh, of humor might be uh, up to one's own personal taste. But uh, basically, we're seeing a lot more federates uh, talking trash, as it's called, or uh, generating hype now because they've seen what it's done for Conor McGregor. So it works in terms of, uh, you know, creating the dollar signs and creating money in terms of um, what it does for Conor. I suppose it it depends. Um, You know, we've seen both sides of Conor outside the octagon. He's also someone who spends a lot of time with his fans, who uh, is willing to do the circuit, who uh, signs anything that's uh, that, that that's needed but at the same time uh, he does have that edgier persona a, a lot like other fighters and other interesting characters uh, from but is it is it vulgar or is it edgy I mean swearing in press conferences saying you're going to rip a fella's head off jumping into the crowd but like Mark that's, that's ridiculous stuff really isn't it um, well, look, I mean, I suppose it, it's down to, uh, like, the swearing in the press conferences is down to uh, personal taste. I, you know, Dennis Seaver is a guy who conducts himself very well outside the octagon, and yeah, at the same time... Uh, <laughs> Except for taking performance-enhancing steroids. Well, this yeah. is what I'm going to say. It's, it's going to come down to a definition of, of vulgarity. Um, the fight is on at, uh, is on at uh, the, the, the main card kicked off at 3 o'clock last night, so I suppose, uh, you know, we're all growing up here, and I mean, yeah. if you're going to take more offense to that than to uh, combat sport or to, yeah. you know, uh, boxing, well, then maybe you shouldn't be watching it. But, um, you know, um, I think once you accept it's part of the game and it's part of uh, the hype to be to be created, to be created, it's it's no more edgier than what you get in quite a lot of other sports. Yeah, I appreciate I might sound like the uh, preacher character in Footloose. Um, look, before what I let about you go... the children that push in? Exactly. <laughs> Someone think of the children. Uh, what about Carl Pendred? He won, but it was controversial. Wrong or right call? Yeah, and I've kind of been looking at, uh, obviously, Dana White and Joe Rogan, um, both during the preliminary broadcast last night, uh, said they thought it was the wrong decision. Uh, there's been a lot of um, consternation over the result on Twitter. Um, I'm looking at, Kind of, I had scored the fight. Two of the judges scored it uh, thirty twenty seven, and the other had it a bit closer, but very much all a unanimous decision in favor in favor of Cahill. Um, the thirty twenty seven seemed uh, a little bit um, one sided in Cahill's favor. That was judges, but if you actually look at the number of strikes landed uh, by Cahill, uh, the percentage of strikes uh, that connected, it was more than his opponent Sean Spencer, and Cahill also had more takedowns. I had Cahill winning two rounds and losing one, um, but I realise I'm probably going against the consensus in that. Um, I think the level of kind of upset over the decision uh, is definitely uh, probably probably a little overstated. Um, I, I don't think it was that big a decision if you look at it in terms of cold hard numbers, in terms of the, the shots landed by Cahill. Um, he took down Sean Spencer uh, four four times during the fight. Um, he was rocked in the first round once by a really good combination of overhand rights by Sean Spencer. But after that, if you actually look, uh, despite the fact Sean Spencer looks more comfortable on his feet uh, and standing and trading uh, shots as a former Golden Gloves championship, he didn't exactly threaten Cottle Cottle although that much apart from that first round. And Cottle landed more shots and got more takedowns. So um a controversial decision, those things happen, but you know, um if Sean Spencer was as good a striker as he's ta- as he was and his striking was that much better than Cottle's, he should have been able to finish Cottle and he wasn't. Uh Cottle grinded out a result um and uh that now takes his record to uh three and oh in the UFC and he's on a near five year run uh undefeated. So um, there's probably going to be a step up in class for Cahill now he's looking to break into the top 15 in the welterweight division and it'll be interesting to see how he progresses and what about Paddy Houlihan we're next for him he also had a win and then had a 20 had a glass of whiskey from, sorry not a glass Conor McGregor gave him a sip of whiskey from his 20 grand a bottle Middleton 
Yeah, I, I'm not sure how true it is, that 20 grand <laughs> bottle of Middleton. That might be a bit of posturing. But certainly, uh, Paddy Hulhan's a connoisseur for a nice cup of tea and a biscuit um, the odd time. Uh, so I'm sure he had a couple of them after the fight. Uh, Paddy was really, really impressive. He uh, recovered from his uh, last fight out, which was a, a fight of the night or a fight of the night performance, but uh, a loss to Chris Calades uh, in Nova Scotia in Canada. And uh, beating Shane Howell last night, um, he it was as close to a mauling as you can get on the ground. Uh, in each of the rounds, Paddy finished uh, taking uh, Shane Howell's back. In the first round, I thought we could have seen a rear naked choke from uh, Paddy. He was controlling him on the ground for um, oh, a solid two minutes and landing shots while trying to get that rear naked on. Howell was very, very tough. Um, but uh, throughout the fight, uh, uh, Paddy was able to secure uh, what's called a body triangle, which is a really strong lock around the body and just uh, really uh, maul him on the ground. Um, his striking looked great too. He got a couple of great takedowns. And then at the end, I suppose uh, Paddy's always uh, a pretty big sport uh, sportsman and you could see uh you could see how he kind of embraced his opponent at the end um i mean if uh if, if conor mcgregor isn't your bag uh shane howell is very much um or sorry uh paddy hulan is very much uh kind of the, the the opposite to that in terms of how he deals with his opponents uh, uh before before the fight so um a great win for paddy hulan and i'd love to see him see how far he can take that because uh very much uh he's um a really good prospect and i think last his last fight out was a bit of an aberration so a clean a clean a clean sweep for 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 the dublin fighters the fighters out of sbg uh norman park uh from bushmills lost against uh gleason tebow who's uh, one of the most experienced fighters in the ufc who's got 16 wins now which is as much as uh, anderson silva in the ufc i believe over a, a longer period of time uh, that was unfortunate for norman but i think it'll be a good learning curve for him because uh tebow was very much a step up in class for norman park but uh all round uh three out of three for the dublin fighters it was uh, it was a pretty good night for the irish in, in boston okay marco tool mma broadcaster and journalist thanks for joining us on the rewind podcast thanks a million Oshin. gaelic football now and yesterday waterford beat cork for the first time in living memory foremost the Disha overcoming a strong rebel starting 15 8 points to 7 in the border village of clashmore it's on the waterford side of the border by the way uh, after the game Former Waterford hurling fullback Liam Lawler, who's now with the footballers, spoke to WLRFM's Tomas McCarthy. But first, Cork manager Brian Cuthbert uh, gave his reflections on the defeat to 96FM's Finbar McCarthy. Yeah, very disappointing result. You'd expect it, uh, you know, that we, we had a team good enough to come down here to win the game. I think we just left ourselves with too much work to do Finbar after, in the first half. Uh, four points, two after playing with a very strong wind. Tells its own story. So, um, you know, second half we weren't too bad, but first half we were very, very poor. Yeah, one point from play in any second is not going to win a match. No, no, absolutely no, and we'd be very disappointed with that. But uh, look, we're um, you know we've used the McGrath Cup, the three games we played to give everybody in the squad game time. We, we, we've done that, and we'll sit down now and we'll pick a national league squad and uh, you know move forward from there. And I suppose the other aspect is that some of your players are not available because of the rules, but that's probably no excuse. No, there's no excuses. Look, Waterford, I thought, were hungry than us. They, yeah. they bossed us. They, 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 they were physically stronger than us in, in the tackle, and we couldn't hold on to the ball here in the first half. Now, in the second half, I thought we, we, we played all the football, but just didn't score enough. We had a couple of chances, we didn't take them. But, uh, you know, there's no excuses. Look, we, we knew going into this competition that we'd be minus 18 players, and it makes no difference. It's, yeah. just, it's simply a case of we weren't good enough today, we didn't show enough appetite, we didn't show enough hunger, and uh, certainly, um, you know, a lot of questions were asked us, and there's a lot, you know, a lot of them remain unanswered, unfortunately. Could I ask you on a different level, uh, nobody were aware of that, the new proposals yesterday in relation to the, the structures of the possible changes in the championship? Any views on it? Well, I presume you have views on it yeah I think uh, by moving the, the, the competition back a small bit um, you know the, the, the obviously you're trying to create a, a bigger window for, for club activities which uh, which I suppose I, I would be um, very much in favour of I think uh, you know, there's no reason why you have to wait four or five weeks uh, be- between games and and in, in, in once the championship you're waiting. Last year we were waiting ten weeks between yeah. the end of the league and and the start of the championship, yeah. which is just far too long. So certainly, I think uh, condensing the season, you know, I think would make sense. But uh, obviously, you have a lot of different stakeholders and everyone has different opinions. And the way the GA works is, is uh, all this thing will be trashed out, trash out in Congress in a, in a couple of weeks' time. And uh, 
people will make up their minds. But from my, my point of view, I think uh, you know the season sometimes is just just a bit bit too long. From a club point of view, though, uh, Brian, do you think, given the way we structure our championship here in Cork, that more clubs would be out of the championship very early? I know some. We all have to go to it at some stage, but if you go too early, your 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 year is effectively over. Is there a danger that could happen in Cork? Um, there possibly is, but I, I think to be fair to Cork, it's one county that uh, actually gives club players a fair season, and uh, this idea of waiting until your county team is, is finished yeah. championship and then the club activity kicks off. I think you know I don't think any of us want that, but uh, I also think that you know my own personal opinion is giving a club three chances to get to the to the fourth round is a bit too much. Even though I know say Nick <laughs> are well used to taking those chances. Now Bishop would avail of it too, must be said. <laughs> but uh, you know I think I think if we if you gave a club you know two chances yeah. and then and then move forward from there. I don't think anyone would have any complaints, but uh, certainly, you know, longevity in the season for clubs is very, very important. Um, the J is moving towards, you know, uh, intercounty, senior intercounty being the, the bread and butter of the J. But look, we're, we all come from clubs, and we all work with our clubs, and I, I think it's very, very important that those guys who, who don't make intercounty get a, a very um, worthwhile and uh, scheduled season. I think, uh, and anything that helps that, I'd be, I'd be all over it. Is there a danger though, Brian, and I'll leave you go after this now because you're anxious to get in, that All-Ireland Club finals in the month of December, is there much appeal for that, do you think? Um, I think, again, if every county was able to run their club championship properly and, and be finished at the, at the right dates rather than what we've had this year with counties not fulfilling the fixture, but and, um, again, not have huge gaps between the games in the Munster Club Championship, you're talking only two games after Munster Club Championship finishes, and I think... You know the way the standard of pitches are now, and the very good pitches, uh, bar the wind. There's not much difference playing in the summer as in playing in the winter. And I think the idea that a club stops, and yeah, you'd find this with with Nemo over the years, and even Stacks here now at the moment in, in Kerry, the idea that you you win the Munster Club Championship and you have to stop then for for yeah. two months, it, it's it's a bit a bit strange. And I think uh, you know then guys who are on county squads then and they're not training with the club and they're training with the county and then vice versa. I think I think it's a bit haphazard. And I think everything in one calendar season, I think, is the way to go. Yeah, I suppose uh, a famous win for Waterford here in Clashmore, and he fully deserved it. He worked very hard for that win. Yeah, look, it's it's, it's a fantastic win for us. You know, it's another competitive game next week against UCC. I suppose um, we we two good victories against UL and CIT, and this just keeps the momentum going. And Thomas, the team going well and playing well and working hard for each other. And you know, I suppose it's a long time since we beat Cork in a competitive game. And look, it just makes it all the sweeter, you know, to have a final to look forward to this early in the year. And Cork brought on their, their big guns in the second half, but the defence really withstood the pressure and you got a couple of good points. Yeah, we kind of hit them on the break in the second half. They kind of changed with their playing. They pushed up the field kind of man-to-man and uh, and um, they caused a few tr- uh, few problems. But geez, the boys defended really well. Thomas Morris back there, Niall Welch in the full-back line were exceptional. Uh, Dean Crowley busting forward then and we kind of created an overlap and won a few frees. Gavin Nugent kicked two great points on the break and, and I think Shane stuck the freeze very well so kind of worked out in a way that they were kind of doing all the pressing but we were able to get the scores to keep ahead. And a real confidence boost to get a win against one of the big ones in, in Munster. Oh yeah look we, we have good belief in the group here you know we have a lot of players coming back there's more players coming back in Tuesday night for for a game against WIT you know and that's just another step and so on. It's, it, it, like we're, prep, we're preparing for the first round of the leagues Saturday weekends Wicklow and the far field and that's the aim and, and this, this just helps us because we get another competitive game and those games are so important and, and, and nice to be back in the, the ticketings from a personal point of view oh absolutely I love wearing the county jersey and I, I never turned down the opportunity and I, I was over the moon when Tom rang me to, to represent the county again and to be honest with you um, he's an absolute gentleman and I, and I, and I, I love my time working with him so far and uh, I just hope that we can be successful this year and hopefully get out of Division 4 Yeah, and I'm looking forward now to, to, to next week I suppose we'll be hoping to get a big crowd down far field I think there was 300 here today but we're hoping for a big crowd down far field to get behind you Absolutely, you know what, for people are great to support Hurland football and, and let's just hope they can come out and support us and hopefully we can get a bit of silverware and like I said earlier there it's, it's a great boost to have something to, something to look forward to so early in the year, you know um, these competitive games are, are essential for, for the development of the team, development of the young lads and I'm just there, like, I'm glad just I can help out and bring them on and you know, we've some great experience there but we've also some, some youth and I suppose there's nothing like competitive games to help them to get them up to the speed because it'll be a shock to the system on the 31st that'll be a different ball game when you're playing National League football you know This is the Rewind on News Talk and that was Waterford's Liam Lauder speaking to Tomás McCarthy of WLR FM they meet UCC at Fratter Fields on Garvin in the final next week the Dacia haven't won this competition since 1981 and it's their first time getting to the final since 2002. Before him, by the way, you heard from uh, Cork's Brian Cuthbert speaking to Finbar McCarthy. In Navin, Dublin set up a board Nemona O'Byrne Cup final with Kildare and Newbridge next weekend with a dramatic 115-113 to win over Meath. 
Now, Ono Gara's early 1-1 in the second half looked like setting the dubs up for a comfortable win, but the Royals fought back and a goal from sub Mickey Newman and an equalising free from goalkeeper Patrick O'Rourke levelled it up in injury time. However, O'Gara and Philly Ryan kept their composure and lay a late scores to earn them the win in front of 7,500 fans at Park Talton. The analysis of Graham Garrity to come, but first Meath manager Mick O'Dowd and Dublin's Jim Gavin, who spoke to me along with the waiting press, including Frank Roach of the Evening Herald and Gordon Manning of the Irish Sun. I think it was a great game for this time of the season, pre-season tournament. And uh, I think both managers and, and teams would have learnt a lot about ourselves. We're kind of still in, in, in some way experimental mode, giving players opportunities to uh, take a claim for, for, um, for, for a national uh, squad, uh, place in the National Football League squad. So um, to that end, um, all those objectives were met. What do you look at more so, the positive of squeezing it out or the negative of letting them back in? You know, we, you know just got to get in the road, we enjoy you know, uh, being together for the day and, and travelling away from home. And, and uh, you know, to, go away to, to go away to any ground is, uh, is always a good occasion and to come away with a win is, is even better. Um, but this time of the season, you're looking for players with, with, a, with a bit of character and um, you'd like to see them, the questions being asked of them. And that has happened the last few games and, and thankfully the response has been, has been quite positive. Ono Gara stepped up with that late uh, point. He looked very settled, had a good second half, scored 1-2, I think. Yes, yeah, Ono scored 1-2 from play, which is a great return for anybody in the, in the full forward line. Uh, he showed well for the ball all day, had two great opportunities in the first half. And uh, let's hopefully we'll see more of that during the, during the coming season. Yeah, were you talking to Alan Bogan during the week, or has he made a decision on his... No, decision? haven't been, no. Yeah. no. Will you talk to him this week or in the next few days? Over the, over the coming weeks, yeah. We, we, we've, uh, we've a plan to sit down and we've been anyway, talking as, as, the, as the weeks go by, but uh, um, yeah, that could come to a conclusion over the next couple of weeks. When you have a player like Dean Rock who's on fire at the moment, is it hard for you to decide when or if to give him a break? Because I suppose you don't want to break his momentum, but you don't want him uh, overrunning himself and tying himself out this early in the season. Yeah, we don't. Uh, you know, as I said earlier, we were doing very little pitch work this time of the season. Um, I don't know what other teams are doing, but uh, certainly we're using these games uh, uh, as part of the, of, the, of the players' fitness development over the, in this pre-season. So uh, we managed the load quite well uh, in, in from, from Monday to Friday, and, and that's his, his big workload is at the weekend. So um, you know, other teams will have them have players running hard. We're just using the games to, 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 to for that opportunity. But Dean's playing very, very well. Um, you know, five out of six frees is, is a great return for him, and uh, a few points in play. To boot, you know, eight points is, is, is uh, in any man's language is, is a very good return for any forward. Of course, Dean hasn't had the opportunity to really mm. showcase his yeah. in the league between club and injury. That's and right, yeah. Last year, so someone like him is a doubly keen. Really. Yeah, he is. You know, Ballymun have done so well in the club championship the last couple of years. He he uh, he, he, he was was unavailable for us, and then he had one or two injuries, which uh, didn't give him time um, uh, in the pre-season or at the early stages of the national league. So. For him to get a, a run like this is, uh, you know, is beneficial, and, and um, you know he's taken his opportunity with both hands. What a fight back from your team! As a manager, do you look at the positive of that or the negative that you had got yourselves in that situation in the first place? Well, at half time, we were looking for a performance uh, in the second half because we didn't feel we really gave it in the first half. Now Dublin were good and strong and all that, but uh, what you'd be very happy with is that we gave a performance in the second half. What did you say to the lads at halftime? You were four down and you had created chances. You maybe were a bit wasteful. Yeah, there, there, there might have been, like, there was seven or, eight, seven or eight players that have never played league or championship for Mead starting today. And uh, there's probably an element of nerves there, you know. And uh, But in the second half, we just went for it, like, you know, and that's what you need to do, you know. And um, in fairness, the crowd got behind us and we got some lovely scores and we were able to bring on a little bit of experience and get people like Mickey Newman and Andy Tormey and Damien Carroll and these players, they have a bray into the game, you know, up front particularly. And um, yeah, we were we were happy t- the way we came back. It was level there with a minute or two to go, whatever it was. And it would have been nice to kick on and get the winner. But, you know, our focus now is totally on the league. We've got a lot out of the Auburn Cup. Uh, a lot of players have got good experience, so we're looking forward to the league. When guys like Mickey Newman and Andrew Tormey come in, and I know Mickey Burke came in early in the game, do they just bring an ability to beat their own man, to, to run at Dublin, to run at their opponents that maybe a younger and more inexperienced player doesn't have? 
Yeah, I, I, I keep saying, um, you know, there's a two or three year apprenticeship with, with this level of football and the, the conditioning that teams are in. So we've some lads that have just come in that don't have it um, yet. And it just takes time when you're coming up against a team uh, like Dublin, who's, you know, most of their players, even though they had plenty of young players as well today, they're, you know, they're quite quite strong players so um, it, it was good to be able to bring in experience and it was good it was important for, for particularly for Mickey you know it was his first action this year What are the aims for me this year is promotion a must? I wouldn't say it's a must but it's definitely a target you know we, we you know we we definitely want to get into Division 1 and have games like we had today in Navan on a regular basis that's certainly a target And it's good to start with the good O'Byrne Cup game it maybe helps you bounce into the league Oh yeah, that game was invaluable for our preparation, there's no doubt. What about your injury situation? It was good to see Mickey back, but what about the others? Yeah, him and Wallace should be back uh, next month. Um, Conor Gillespie the month after that. Uh, Shane and Shane O'Rourke and Kevin Riley will be a little bit longer. But, um, you know, we're, we're getting towards a healthy squad. The very best of luck. One fifteen to Dublin, one thirteen to Meath in the Bordnemona O'Byrne Cup semi-final. What a game it was, Graham Garrity. I have to say, no, at the end of the day, it was a fantastic game. Um, coming up to half-time, I thought Dublin were probably going to walk away in the second half and possibly should have been maybe six or seven points up or up more at half-time, having missed the two goals. But, uh, you know, me regrouped at half-time and made a few substitutions and, uh, you know, took the game to Dublin in the second half and very entertaining game in the second half. Mickey Newman, he was something special when he came on. I mean, a wonderful goal, good point as well. But he just seemed to add a spark to the Meath forward line he seemed to add a bit of pace or something yeah I suppose, like like when Mickey gets the ball he's very direct and the same with Andrew Tormey as well he made a big difference at you know eight and a half forward line he ran at Dublin and you know gave a fantastic ball into Mickey for the for the goal and uh, you know it was a great finish but um, you know I think a lot of the Mead fans probably leaving here today would be very happy with us even though we were beaten but very happy the way that the team played particularly in the second half and uh, I know obviously we're playing against the understrength Dublin team but um, you know a lot of the younger lads kind of have you know been Bled into the team this year and, and, and performed well today. So you know, it's we're we're looking forward to so the league campaign and hopefully we can get up to Division One and, and then you know the championship during the summer. What do you look at if you're the Mead management after this game? Do you look at the positives of the comeback and some of the scores he took, or do you look at the negatives of the many chances missed in the first half and the very slow start in the second? I mean, Mead didn't really start playing no. until about 17 minutes into that second half. Well, I suppose you have to take a bit of everything, really. You know, if you look at all the positives, you know, you're not going to improve really either. You have to look at the negative aspect as well. But uh, like we did make a lot of mistakes out there today. But um, you know, in the I suppose three quarters of the way through the game me had really you know were dominating and, and, and just couldn't get their noses really in front and, and uh, you know you have to hand it up and they had composure there to slow the game down Johnny Cooper you know he got a few boos for kicking the ball backwards but uh, you know that's what you do when you're, the pressure is on you there was still a point up and, and Dublin kind of controlled the game for the last couple of minutes and, and, and uh, got a couple of scores then to, to win the game in the end but uh, you know a very entertaining game for this time of the year anyway what did you make of uh, Dublin? I thought they were very good. Like Dublin are very strong, so dear. So it's 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 even though I say like you mean physically, and does that make yeah, a difference? Yeah, but at like at, at this level, you know, it does. And with a lot of young players that were playing, you know, being I said blood in, being blooded in over the over the Warren Cup, and they just wouldn't have the physical presence that Dublin have. And you know, as you can see, a lot of those players have been playing with Dublin in 21 and have been on the the panel for the last number of years. And you know, the strength that you have on the ball and strength running that direct of players is, is, is far superior than what Mead had today if you're looking at this from a Mead point of view does it really give you a big positive the fact that you know you put up a performance uh, against Dublin even though it's only the O'Byrne Cup I mean does it have a, have a massive tangible benefit I think it does like, I suppose at this time of the year really it's, just, it's all your hard work is done kind of over in, in, in January and February and, and you know to, to play kind of the quality football that Mead played today and Dublin you know is it's is a plus, and you know you're, you're looking to build on that. But uh, you know, so the one worrying aspect you'd have was so Mead probably had probably ninety percent of the championship team probably that we playing in the summer finished the game for, for, for Dublin. I'd say if they had fifty percent of their championship yeah. game be playing. So you know, obviously Dublin have strength and depth, and we, like we have the, the same numbers Dublin have. But uh, like I suppose a lot of the Mead fans leaving here today would would take a positive you know attitude that's the way they finish the game and, and the response from me nine points down to come back and level the match and, and possibly you know a bit of luck might have maybe got a point to go ahead but uh, 
you know, uh, I know, as I said, we lost the game, but we will take positives from this. And you're back involved in the Sigerson this year? Yeah, back involved in Sigerson. Yeah, um, yeah, we're out again anyway. G now next Tuesday week, but uh, obviously it'll probably one out for us. It's because we're a very, very small college and a very small pick, and and, and you know our overturn of players. It would be probably far more than than. Um, you know some of the bigger colleges. You know we, our stronger players leave, and then there's a huge void down between probably fourth years and first or second years. So it's it's you know it's a big problem for us when you have the numbers. The very best of luck. Thanks very much. This is the rewind on News Talk, and that was Graham Garrity on Dublin's O'Burn Cup win over Meath and his college IT Blanchardstown and their upcoming Sigerson Cup campaign. Next week we'll have a preview of the Alliance League as well as a review of the McGrath Cup, FBD League, McKenna Cup and Bordemona O'Byrne Cup finals involving Waterford, UCC, Galway, Roscommon, Kildare, Dublin and two of Fermanagh, Cavan, Tyrone or Armagh. In Hurling, Galway opened their season with a 121-16 points win over Westmeath in Mullingar, that in the Walsh Cup. The Tribesmen meet Offaly in Tullamore next Sunday. After yesterday's match, their manager Anthony Cunningham spoke to Midland 103's Jerry Russell. Delighted to get out, really, and it's great to come to, I suppose, the pitch as good as, as, as Cusick Park, really, and to get out for a game because it's uh, hard enough to get matches this time of the year. We've been trained for quite a while. And the first competitive, of course, of 2015, you're trying out a lot of new players today. You must be impressed with a lot of the fellas you had on show today. Yeah, I suppose that's what we'd be using the Walsh Cup for, primarily to aim... The league has got so competitive now that it's a great, uh, you know, it's a great starter for the league. So we'd be hoping that uh, we'd, we'd pick up a few more uh, from these seven matches. A few big players in key positions. David at centre back, I thought played well, but uh, that Jason Flynn at full forward, one twelve, a big tally today. Yeah, Jason is a fine hurler. Um, we, we'd be we'd be still demanding more from Jason because he has the ability. Uh, no doubt, his his massive ability. Um, you know, you made five or six new guys there today: Porrick Mannion, um, Ian Abork, uh, Brian Malai, uh, Dean Higgins, and and they all come through well, really. And um, they have a lot to offer, and we'll be hoping that they drive on. I suppose overall, take the goal over. There was very little between them. Westmead really put it up to you, and they're pretty competitive as well under new manager Michael Ryan. Yeah, Michael. I think the two Michaels they're doing a world of work with them and we'd know that and uh, they definitely will will make inroads I think they've had a very good base to work with as well and the work that Brian Handy did for the last number of years but them for, for sure they're going to get a huge response from Michael he's a uh, He's a wily old fox, Michael, and as he knows a lot about his hurling, and uh, you know they'll they'll be going on to to do well. I suppose next Sunday another competitive game against the neighbours, Offaly, and the, 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 there's always a bit of bite between those two counties. Yeah, I suppose <laughs> we'll see you next Sunday as well. Um, <laughs> that's, that's for sure. And uh, Offaly are waiting in the wings, and the winner gets into a semi-final, and that's what you know we want to win the match next Sunday, and, and Brian Whelan and Offaly will as well. So it's great to get in a match like that. And you'd be hoping a good league run, but the big thing in Galway, of course, is to get and maybe win another Leinster and get on to the All-Ireland Series yeah well one one I suppose leads on to the other if you, if you do well in the league it's the best preparation for the championship that's been proven year in year out and to do well in the league you've got to do well in the Welsh Cup as a, as a pre-runner so we'll be we'll want to do well in the league to be ready for we have a knockout championship match on the 31st of May and uh, that's our big goal for the year. You have a number of players, of course, to come back into this team. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Joe Canning, uh, so Johnny Glynn wasn't fit there for the f- for a big match, the full match today. We have uh, Niall Burke, Cheryl Dunn and Niall Healy, Davy Burke. They're all long-term injury guys. And then we have a couple of guys playing with UCG and uh, they'll all come back into it in, in, in the next while. Anthony Cunningham, the Galway hurling manager, speaking to Jerry Russell of Midlands 103. This is the Rewind on News Talk. Golf now and 22-year-old Frenchman Gary Stoll won the Abu Dhabi HSBC Championship yesterday following an astounding collapse by Martin Keimer. Stoll closed with a 65 for 19 under par to beat Rory McIlroy, who ended 18 under. He was in second position. But Keimer had held a 10-stroke lead at one stage, so his uh, collapse was particularly spectacular. Well, after his round, McElroy, who sunk his first ever professional hole in one on Friday, spoke to Nick Dye. Yeah, I think it's going to be my fourth second here in the last five years. Um, yeah, you know, like I, I played well today. You know, it's I, I, I left myself with too much to do after uh, yesterday, and, and even the slow start today when I felt like I, I played very well and wasn't capitalising on my chances. But um, JP and I started to read the putts together uh, on the. I guess on the uh, on the eighth hole, uh, and from there, you know, I started to make a lot of birdies. So 
Um, yeah, just you know, didn't quite have it on the greens this week, but you know, luckily it came came right at the end. Dare I say this is a little closer than expectations at the start of the day? When did you fancy you had a chance? Uh, I found out on the on the fifteenth tee that, that Martin had made a triple bogey. Um, so at that point, I think I was a couple behind, and then I made birdie on fifteen to go one behind. But uh, obviously, Gary made a couple of. Uh, and at that point as well so uh, but for the last four or five holes I felt like I had a little bit of a chance. Are there plenty of positives to take out of the week? Yeah definitely um, I can't fault my ball I think I hit every green today in regulation um, yeah my only boogie was a, a three putt so um, you know tee to green I can't fault that I feel like I'm hitting the ball very very well um, obviously I, I didn't putt as well as I would have liked this week but uh, all parts of my game you know feel feel pretty good. I imagine you won't have crossed paths with Gary Starr all that often, but it's an impressive performance, isn't it? Very impressive, you know, coming off the Challenge Tour. and uh, I've seen him a few times in the gym this week. He, he seems like he likes the gym and he's in, in, in decent shape. So, um, But, yeah, you know, it's, it's great to, you know, to shoot a final round 65 and, um, you know, win with a field like this is, is impressive. And your plans just down the road, Dubai next up? Yeah, Dubai. Uh, I'm going to head to Dubai. You know, this this week in between, where some of the guys are going to Qatar and you know practice and uh, get ready for for the Desert Classic in uh, a couple of weeks' time. This is the rewind on News Talk. That was Rory McIlroy on his second place finish at the Abu Dhabi Championship and the rise of the competition's winner, Gary Stoll. More Premier League now, and Raf Diallo of Team 33 and Off the Ball is with us. Raf. Um, with just 11 goals scored all season in the league and a relegation fight on their hands, is Paul Lambert in danger of losing his job at Aston Villa? You'd be surprised. I'd actually think just because of the situation the club, Randy Lerner, obviously the owner, um, he's still trying to sell the club. Why would he, well, why would he want to get rid of Lambert in that kind of situation? Uh, I know the fans will want him out. You know, it's uninspiring football. They've only scored 11 goals out of 22, but... The there there doesn't seem to be any ambition at the club, so I can actually I could actually see him staying on for a while because he he has them outside the relegation zone, uh, even if they do end up slipping back into it. But I think that's just the expectation survival, and uh, that's actually a sad thing for a club with so much history like Villa. Is it a tactical thing or is it just that they need a goal scorer? Is that what's wrong? Well. When you kind of look at it, they are kind of a one-man team because they're very reliant on Benteke and then, you know, they have a lot of speed on the break. You know, you're looking at Gabriel Agbon Lahore, uh, your man Andreas Weiman as well, the Austrian uh, kind of forward. They've got a lot of pace, but again, I think the in previous seasons under Lambert, the issue was that they were too counter-attacking and really, if a team sat back, they would actually struggle to break them down and they just don't have the quality though. You look through the squad, Tom Cleverley is one of the most, one that's supposed to be one of the creators in midfield. They have uh, Carlos Sanchez who was in Colombia's squad as well and during the World Cup and it just doesn't, like I think um, Robbie Savage uh, showed a great, uh, you know, a great graphic there on Match of the Day last night where he basically showed the, like Cesc Fabregas has, has created 67 chances and you look at three Villa midfielders haven't even come close to that as a group and that yeah, it's uh, pretty scary that, yeah that that tells you a lot what about Chelsea you mentioned them there five goals past Swansea on Saturday five points clear now due to uh, City's loss at home to Arsenal a game we spoke about uh, in detail with Dave and uh, Keith our commentary team there earlier on but uh, what about Chelsea Chelsea yeah um, and you know, I I, ac- I expected them to come back and win this weekend. Uh, they'd had a they had a bit of a blip over Christmas, but they seem to be back on song again. And the great the from Mourinho's perspective, the great thing about this five point gap is it suits him going into the City game because he's quite a reactive manager. Um, it'll suit him to sit back and just hit City on the break, much like Arsenal did. And uh, that you know that's that's the advantage i think he really really wanted kind of going into the into i think the games in like two weeks time that he really wanted kind of going into that going into that match and uh it's set up very very nicely for him yeah we put up with a cup weekend before that um what about city and arsenal arsenal did things as keith outlined earlier on keith andrews that they don't normally do now yeah. are they going to replicate that are they going to do it again where did that come from it's 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 as curious when they win as it is when they lose. Yeah, well, the way I saw it, actually, just watching it, it was a grown-up performance because they've always it's always been kind of said it's men against boys whenever Arsenal are involved and they're always the boys. But this time, they actually there was so much discipline and I think you have to focus on um, Coquelin at the base of the midfield who really just... He sat in that space that David Silva loves to play in and 
it's something we don't often see from Arsenal where they give the opposition team due respect. They like to play their own game and that's well and good but there's certain moments against the Chelsea's and the Cities and even Man United you know, where you have to you have to show the opposition probably more respect than the game you want to play and they did that. They played with so much discipline, just hit on the break and they allowed themselves to only have about 30% or 30-something percent possession which is un-Arsenal-like but that's what you've got to do. Um, if they can replicate it, I it's hard to say. I hope it's a lesson learned that you know when they play, when they you know when they play Chelsea, even at the Emirates, that they can accept a certain game plan and that they can actually reduce themselves to playing on the break, on the counter, as as a reactive team. And just before I let you go, how can we catch up with Team Thirty Three, the football podcast, and? on air show this week yeah we are back as a podcast tomorrow um, afternoon uh, at an unspecified time and but there is a more specified time when, when we are actually on air which is uh, at midnight Raf Diallo of Team 33 and Off the Ball thanks for joining us cool thanks well that's it for now we're back next week with a look back on the Champion and Challenge Cup matches involving Leinster and Connacht both still looking for quarter final spots we'll also have more on the pre-season GA finals and the FA Cup plus There's the National Cup Finals in basketball. It's always a very special weekend and a unique one in the Irish sporting calendar. Those games, by the way, will be live on News Talk. And uh, if you're near a TV, they're live on TG Cahar. Team Montanotti Hotel Glenmar taking on Colester in the women's final. And then in the men's final, it's UCD Marion against CNS UCC Demons, who are unbeaten in the league uh, this season. It's going to be a cracker. We'll catch you next week. Until then, take care. The Monday Rewind. Declaring the winner by TKO, the notorious Connor McGregor! I felt comfortable for you, I don't think any of these pals are threat. Every single one of them keep, keep talking about the talk. Keep saying this guy's all talk, he's over the camera. But never once in your life will you hear them talk about the skill or the technique, because they know I own that. Giroud with the header, he scores! Doubles Arsenal's lead from the free kick. 66 minutes played. It's City nil, Arsenal 2. Yes, maybe, maybe it was not the, the usual Arsenal that we are used to, to see him. But I think that they defend very well. very well during the 90 minutes. He's got Ashton on the right-hand side. Skipped inside. Zebo all too easily from close range. The swan die from Ashton. Their third try. I don't know, we can't read my finger on, we just couldn't seem to hold the ball, we had knock-ons, we had mistakes, we had lack of knowledge. O'Gara goes with him just outside the D and puts it over the bar and it's Dublin 115, Mead 113, it was quite a brave fight back from the Royals but it looks like it's not going to be enough. This time of the season you're looking for players with, with, a, with a bit of character, you like to see them, questions being asked of them and that has happened the last two games and, and thankfully the response has been, has been quite positive.